proven practices are there for managing your Power Platform or Dynamics 365 product backlog in Azure DevOps? How much detail should your user stories contain? And how do you ensure that what you're doing enhances your user's experience? If you use an agile approach like Scrum to build Power Platform or Dynamics 365 applications, you won't want to miss the insights that Danny Cahill shares in this episode of Amazing Apps, the podcast for Dynamics 365 and Power Platform professionals that want to build amazing agile business apps. I'm your host, Neil Benson. I'm a Microsoft MVP and I've coached and trained thousands of business apps builders to use Scrum since I first used it myself in 2008. And I'm on a mission to help you use agile practices to build amazing business apps for your users as well. This is episode 152. If you're listening to the audio podcast, you'll find show notes with links to resources and a transcript at amazingapps.show slash 152. And if you're watching on YouTube, you'll find them in the description um, down below. Here's Danny Cahill. Danny, welcome back to Amazing Applications. I was just looking to see how many times you'd been on this show before, and I thought it was two, three, maybe four. It's actually six. This is your sixth appearance. Welcome back, my friend. Thank you. Yeah, that's my favorite show, right? <laughs> it's everybody's favorite show, Danny. <laughs> absolutely, yeah. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it's always a pleasure to, you know, discuss with you and bounce ideas. And and you have been actually, well, that's why I'm six time, right? Because you have been kind enough to kind of host some of my conversation with other guests. Right, yeah, absolutely. So if that you... counts too. Um, I noticed you've been doing a lot of work with Hamish recently. So if you and Hamish want to do a takeover episode, you're more than welcome. We'd love to, yep. to have you. But today we're going to focus on managing the product backlog, which is something a lot of teams struggle with. A lot of teams do very, very differently from one organization yeah. to the next. What do you think the biggest challenge is that business apps teams have managing their product backlogs? What have you seen out there in the wild in your experience? Yeah. So the number one challenge really what I, what I see, right, is kind of structuring almost what is the best or what is the, the right structure for the, the project that you are in. And there is no, I, I found that there, is, there are tips or there is a way you can structure your backlog, but every project will be different and every project will have to kind of adapt slightly to yes. how the client works, where they are in the journey of managing product backlogs and so forth, right? So it's always a bit of a tweaking. I found myself... Like how I used to structure the, the backlog and in my head as well, and how I would recommend my clients to do if they don't know and they just want our recommendations, is I always try to follow a bit of a high-level process, right? So even if you have your kind of story map, I don't, I don't do often like real story mapping, but I kind of follow the same process where I decompose the high-level phases yeah. of, a, of a user or of a, a client throughout the journey. Right, and those will be my big building blocks. It's easy for me to understand, and then I go to the level of so that would be my epics, and then I have my features, and then I go down to the level. But that's how I structure it. But it's a bit of a challenge I see that, and if there is an existing backlog already, like everyone is doing it differently. Like sometimes it's by apps, yeah. by technology. Right. Yep. By and you know, it sometimes it makes sense, right? And I was not there at the beginning of the process, I cannot really judge. But if I would start from, from scratch, I would try to structure it that way. I'm not sure if I responded directly to your yeah, question, sure. I maybe responded way more. But yeah, okay. So let, let's let's tackle some of those ideas one by one. Imagine mm. 
you're in a greenfield scenario, so there's no backlog management tool there mm. today. First of all, who do you think should manage the backlog? Do you, as an expert in managing requirements, do you take that responsibility on? Or do you like your product owner, who's typically you know somebody from the customer side, do you coach them in how to get to grips with you know, Jira, Azure DevOps, or some other tool? Who do you think should do most of the work? Yeah. Oh, look, very early. I would start, if I can start from, from an ideal project, right? Very oh, no. early on, you want to you wanna coach your product owner and make him responsible that they are the owner of the product backlog. Like this, there is no, there is no question about that, right? They Good. need to know that they own the product backlog and what is in there. What it means owning, they making decision on prioritization, they make decision on namings and how we want to structure this. The challenge we often have is a lot of them don't have a clue on how to do that. <laughs> they know their business pretty well, right? They know the business, yeah. they're pretty, uh, you know, high stake, like higher in the, in the management layer and everything, but they have never done, or have never done product ownership. They don't know exactly what is a product backlog. How, how do we, how do I even name that thing? So we, it's a bit of a guidance where most of the time, look, ideal scenario, the product owners have done that in the past. They know the, pro the product backlog. We can just guide them maybe on restructuring a bit. What makes sense to do before another epic, because otherwise it does, it breaks right. the system or something. That's ideal. Yeah. But most of the time they are, they are new. And then in this case, we would often come up with a, a structure of the product backlog based on the language and that high-level journey that we have discussed. So we have those workshops, maybe with, you know, with the client and stakeholders, we map those high-level uh, steps in the journey, which then leads to epics. And we do that together in consultation with the client. And we would, most of the time, one of us or myself, I would create the epics because they don't know the tool. So it's almost like a right. guidance throughout the beginning, but throughout the first few weeks, first few months, that is slowly transitioning, right? Yeah. They start um, taking over DevOps and then we tag them in, in, in user stories, we tag them in features, we tag them in epics. And then gradually, the ideal scenario is that you have a very senior BA or even the product owner going in and then we'll groom the product backlog. We change, yeah. split the epics into epics or kind of group some features together or you know, cancel them completely or rename them, right? But that is kind of a bit of a journey that I have seen. But it, yeah, that is kind of an ideal scenario I would, I would see. Yeah, I, I've, my, my experience mirrors yours exactly, Danny. So I'm working with first-time product owners, people who understand yeah. their business very well. They're in operations, they're in sales, they're in marketing, they're some kind of leadership mm. position. They know the business processes, they know existing systems, they know the business challenges they want to try and solve and the outcomes they're looking for. They don't know how to use Azure DevOps. They don't know an Epic yeah. from a feature. And so we drive the tool at the beginning um, with their blessing yeah. and their oversight. And then gradually they get more hands-on with it. I still quite often have one of the developers who's got a background as a business analyst still doing most of the day-to-day -day work in Azure DevOps. Yeah. The accountability for what's in scope, what's next, what's high priority, what's not, is always with the customer's product owner. So my experience is very similar to yours. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah, glad to hear. Yeah. If, um, if you have a choice of which backlog management tool to use, uh, Jira is very popular here in Australia. As you, as you know, Atlassian is mm. a big Australian tech company. Um, 
Microsoft Azure DevOps is very popular, of course, amongst the Microsoft community. And there are, there are dozens or hundreds of others. Um, do you have a preference if given the choice? I have a strong preference for DevOps, yeah. And yeah, good. It's a, it's a preference. I've used it for many years. I just use very, um, I think a few years ago, I used Jira on another project, but that's it. Like, I think it's a, pref a personal preference in terms of just the project that was involved with is Clan either had DevOps already or they let us make the choice and we went with DevOps. So very yeah. strong preference for DevOps, yeah. yeah. What about yourself? Yeah, I, oh, I, yeah? I mostly I've been using Jira for the past few years, but when we get a chance, mm. we'll use Azure DevOps. And I don't know what it is about Jira, but it's quite often just badly configured or it's it's an enterprise tool mm. that's been configured for lots of different teams. And when I come yeah. in and say, hey, look, I want to run a scrum team following these principles and these practices, Jira hasn't been configured for that kind of approach. And yeah. so it's just, and it's, there's just some weird things like you have to finish this sprint and then you have to manually start the next sprint. Like one sprint should follow another naturally. I don't know. There's, yeah. there's some things I don't like about Jira. Yeah, right. Okay. But it's, but it's very popular. Azure DevOps just seems to be a bit more natural. And of course, it's where most of my developers do, you know, pipelines and source yep. control and everything's been driven from there. Um, I haven't seen, I haven't seen many of my teams use GitHub. Um, and I know that that is, you know, there's a lot of overlap these days between GitHub and Azure DevOps from a technical perspective. Um, I'd say DevOps is still stronger from a boards and backlog perspective. Mm. Uh, I haven't seen, I haven't seen anybody drive us towards using GitHub. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, you, you talked a little bit about the hierarchy of items yep. that are in a backlog. Are you always using user stories, and is that the smallest um, you know, type of item in your backlog? How do you how do you structure the hierarchy of items? Yeah, it really again depends the size of the of the whole project, right? If it's very simple, maybe we have features and user stories, right, and that's it. If it's a bit bigger, you go to the level of epics. If it's quite large. I would sometimes, so I, I had a project where I created something above Epics because I had I needed like five levels almost right. to structure. Wow. It's just from a structuring perspective, right? Where um, it could have been different projects too, right? So it's kind of, you know, but basically, yeah, usually Epics feature user stories. And then sometimes, um, and I've been introduced again to the concept of tasks by a product owner on, on one of, for one of my clients. And it's that. <laughs> it starts to yeah it's it helps sometimes where you have a user story and it's more a few guys need to do something specific then we can create tasks for us and it's almost like reminders to kind of you know i need to investigate this for that specific feature or i need to do a bit of design for that this is how i would use tasks it's not linked to so we don't really track tasks in you know, in boards as well, because I think you can track them as well in boards. Yes. I, we used to do that in the past a few years ago with another product owner, but that's not what I'm I'm talking about. It's more tasks where you can just manage your own workload within and everybody sees where you are. So it's used okay. pretty loosely, to be fair. Um, but yeah, those are my three levels. Just on, on the tasks thing, um, yeah. when teams are using tasks and they've got a Kanban board style um visualization for tracking their work, mm. the user story or the, the product backlog item would remain on the left-hand side and the tasks would move through the columns until they're all done. Whereas if you don't want to use tasks, generally mm. the whole story or the whole product backlog item mm. moves through the columns towards done. Um, 
sounds like you're occasionally using tasks where that's helpful, but you're still, you're not, you're not tracking the progress of individual tasks across the board. You're working at a product backlog item level. Yeah. We, we're really using user story, as you mentioned, and we move user stories from one phase to another, you know, analysis dev, we can talk about that a bit later. The task, you can even see them on the board, right? In DevOps, you can see like a little number and an indication how many tasks are open underneath just as an indication it doesn't force anything it's just there and as an indication it's used loosely uh we haven't really structured it so that helps yeah. on it's that one project where I, i'm using tasks yeah. otherwise no yeah, okay so for those of you not uh, not watching the youtube version of this uh, discussion i i kind of threw my head into my hands when danny talks about tasks because th there are a couple of anti-patterns i've seen and, and Danny doesn't sound like he's falling into these anti-patterns, but I used to see teams with a product backlog item, and then they, they would create tasks underneath, or subtasks, sometimes they're called. And those subtasks would look like analysis, design, development, testing, deployment. And so it's a series of waterfall steps for each product backlog item. And so we just had 100 tasks all called analysis, and 100, you know, just very repetitive, not very helpful, but... Um, if you don't use tasks like that, and you do use them occasionally as really important stuff that needs to get done, needs to get tracked, and that other people might be interested in, then I think that's a, a very fair, fair use of some tasks. So uh, I applaud you, Danny, in, in you know, figuring out what works for your team, because that's what it's all about, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I would be keen to to understand as well how you yeah how you manage your analysis task in user story or your analysis activities in user story, but we can yeah. We can yeah talk about well, that in a sec. Well, let's let's go there next because that's that's where that's where user stories start, right? We, we yeah. Um, I would typically have uh, similar to you at the outset of the project a series of epics, maybe 12, 15, yeah. 20 epics, you know, from smaller, mid-sized project, and that defines the scope of the project. Mm -hmm. And then we we start to refine those epics, which is the most important epic. Oh, it's contact management. Contact management yep. is always a, a good one because it's kind of the foundation for a lot of the other features that are going to come later. So we start with contacts. We'll refine that epic down into creating a contact, um, updating a contact, uh, duplicate detection and merging contacts, importing contacts, and so on. And so we're splitting. That's the first job. Split the epic down yep. into something smaller, maybe a feature, maybe a user story. Uh, and then we start to enrich that product backlog item with a decent user story title or description, and then some acceptance criteria and, and the estimates get um, created and, and off we go. Is that similar or completely different to your process? So most of the tasks that we could define, I guess, from a feature perspective and in breaking them down when we have our workshop or grooming session, and then we decompose them in those user stories. But I've, so that I would follow the same in, in more scenarios. Now, where I'm finding some challenges, and maybe your, your input might help me here, is sometimes a task might require a decent amount of analysis. Uh, sorry, a user story might require a decent amount of, of analysis. And we kind of, it's because we, we, we thought about as a user story when we discussed that feature, and then yes. we, we, now it's time to implement that feature, and then we, re, uh, that user story, and we realize. It's actually a lot of analysis. I need, I need to talk to the integration team. I need to talk to this. And then we need to figure out how we go. So it's a lot of kind of analysis. And then basically that user story, which is big, then it's becoming 
this is where sometimes I, I don't not I don't have a process in my head what best to follow. Where I would then say, okay, that is my analysis user story, and I will I will spend right. some time. I will spend some time or doing the sprint analy- analyzing and kind of making a bit of a design and then decomposing that in maybe f- other user stories. Sure. This is what, typically what I would follow because then it's assigned to me it's or it's assigned to one of my team members for the, the sprint and it fits within the sprint and we can finish it within the sprint. But I'm not sure if that's the best way. I feel there is better way to, to do it. What, <laughs> what would you recommend? Um, I think my, my approach is probably fairly similar and it's not the same approach, like you said. It's not the same approach every time. Different customers yeah. want us to work slightly differently. Generally, there'll be a developer in the um, in the team who's got a business analysis background. That yeah. developer is working closely with the product owner and the subject matter experts, and they have a an epic broken down into features or user stories, and they have a status that says either in analysis or mm. not ready. Quite often, we just call it not ready. And that's where a product backlog item is being enhanced with better descriptions or uh, maybe a wireframe of how the user interface might look or some sample data or you know, whatever it is that, that the an analyst needs to gather. Like you said, integration requirements. And, and so once, it's, once the analyst feels it's ready, they'll bring it up in the next product backlog refinement meeting. Um, we used to call it grooming, but the, the Scrum Guide updated that language a couple of years ago. So now we call it refinement. Sometimes we call it elaboration. Yeah. And that's where the developers are all there with the analyst and the product owner and saying, okay, this one's, we think it's ready. Okay, well, let's take a look at it. So the developers will discuss it, ask some questions, um, try and dive a little bit deeper to this. Once they feel it is ready, then they'll estimate it. And that's where we hope the estimates are pretty low, one, two, three, five points. Um, anything bigger than that, and it's still a feature, but we needs to get split again. Um, so we try and you know figure out what, what kind of size it is. and once everybody's happy, all the developers are comfortable. They know enough about it to estimate it. It doesn't have to be 100% perfect. We might not have every answer to every question at that stage, but we know enough to estimate yep. it. Then it's ready to take into a sprint. So we update the status. And when we're doing sprint planning, we can look at all the product backlog items that are in that ready status, and we can consider bringing those yep. into, into the sprint backlog. So something similar, I think. Yeah, yeah, something similar. I think is that, yeah, yeah, okay. And you don't estimate the analysis time. You don't estimate because no. this is what sometimes we do here. I mean, we, I'm doing is okay for the sprint uh, because maybe it's a big analysis task, right? A lot of it's for the sprint. We kind of put a, some user stories against the analysis. Sorry, we put the story points against the analysis time, which helps us a bit estimating the capacity for. Okay. That's that's where. So this is where I have my user story with a lot of details in there, but I still need to do quite some analysis. It's not ready for dev. Then we would kind of consider this as the analysis user story. Put some story points so that we can kind of, right. you know, estimate the capacity, and then from there we would probably create additional user stories. I don't know if that's okay. the best way to do it, but yeah, I I, I encourage my teams only to estimate work that's going to generate yeah. a product that the product owner has asked for. So yeah. typically it's, it's some working software, right? I, want, I need this, this yeah. button or this feature, or this workflow, whatever it is. Or yeah. it could be, I need this document. I need a user guide or I need a yeah. 
as is system description, you know, whatever the, um, the artifact is. So we yeah. estimate all of that work. There, then there's work that the dev team needs to do to get things done, right? I need to yeah. stand up a new environment. I need to do some analysis on a yeah. user story. I need to um, spend some time upskilling Danny. He's going to, I'm going to train him in all the data migration uh, jobs that we've got running. Yeah. That work we don't estimate because it doesn't drive functionality for the end users. It's not something they care about. And so yeah. if we have to do a lot of that work, the team will just say, hey, look, we, we normally get, you know, 50 story points per sprint done, but we've got all yeah. these chores to do. We're going to reduce our capacity to 40 because we've got more chores yeah. than usual. There's always, yeah. there's always um, work that team needs to do that the product owner might not necessarily consider yeah. valuable. And so we, we call those chores and everything else is a, is a story. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. yeah. So it uh, sounds pretty similar. Um, tell me about the type of acceptance criteria that you're writing on a product backlog item where it's a user story? Yeah. So look, I wouldn't write, I mean, I would encourage a BA to help me, right? Or write the, the, the acceptance criteria most of the time. Um, but then, cause I would prefer them to be written from kind of a business lens more, you know? So, it, and, and I try to follow the best I can um, some, some example, I mean, the consistent way of writing those acceptance criteria that I've learned from other good BAs with who I've worked, right? So I'm not uh, claiming it's mine, but, um, you know, kind of giving the scenarios, like given that scenarios, if this happened, then, and it kind of, and it's kind of a nice way if I have a few scenarios, even as a, as a dev or an architect, when I go through this, it's kind of making me empathize with the scenario I need to think about when I'm designing yep. the system. It helps me even kind of writing test scenarios later. And even if I'm doing my own unit testing, it helps me yeah. go through this. Am I meeting the acceptance criteria? So this is what I would strongly recommend doing. And I would have to write them. Sometimes I'm, I'm writing them because, well, for whatever reason, I'm the only one on the project or the B, there isn't a really a, a real BA on the project helping me. But otherwise, I would strongly recommend the business or the BA to really write them that way. Yep. Yep. Um, makes sense? Are you yeah. doing the same? Do you want to learn how to estimate complex business apps in minutes, not hours or even days? Do you want to avoid costly estimation mistakes and instead deliver projects on time and on budget? Does your team want to impress your customers and your manager with your skills and confidence? If you answered yes to any of these questions, then you need to listen to Estimating Business Apps, my new podcast mini-series. In just five episodes, you'll learn my proven practices, tips, tricks, and tools for estimating complex power platform and Dynamics 365 apps. And if you stick around until the last episode, you'll get access to a very special offer that will help you take your estimating skills to the next level. Subscribe to Estimating Business Apps today and start listening to the first episode. Yeah, same. So we call it behavior-driven development, BDD. Uh, given, when, then... And we, we use yeah. that, that structure, and that's how we write the acceptance um, acceptance uh, criteria. Our testers can really easily turn those into test cases. What mm. we find, though, is um, you know as you begin to enrich your user story with those acceptance criteria, if you uncover quite a lot of them, that can really highlight that this story is way more complicated than we initially thought. Yeah. We might need to revise the estimate. Normally we've done yep. all the acceptance criteria before estimation, 
But if you yep. see a, a user story with two or three acceptance criteria, well, that's okay. If you see one yep. with seven or eight, 10 acceptance criteria, yep. like, oh, wow. Uh, you know, I need yep. to create a contact. If the contact is this type or that type or the other type, or if it's Tuesday or if, if it's yeah, every other yeah, Thursday yeah, yeah. or if the weather is wet, you know, all these strange scenarios yep. that come up whenever you want to just create a contact. Uh, that shows yeah. you you might need to split your user story. It's a really, really good yep. way of, um, of iterating to get to the, you know, this, this is ready. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Do you document anything? So that's maybe uh, another question I have for you. So where would you document some of your design ideas? Do you document them in the user story somewhere or in separate documents and you link it or somewhere else completely? Where do you have that? Um, we try and keep it really lightweight. So quite often mm. it'll just be a comment in Azure DevOps. So yeah. when, we're, when we're estimating, the yeah. developers will say, well, we're estimating this on the basis that we think um, we can solve this with a custom table, two flows, and yeah. um, a form, right? Uh, um, so that's the, that's the kind of design idea. Yeah. That's good enough for estimating. Then once the sprint starts, uh, we have normally three people um, working in a team on a user story, at least three people. There's the analyst who's maybe done the, the refinement, who knows it best. That could be the product owner, could be a subject matter expert or one of the developers who's a business analyst, plus the developer who's going to build most of the functionality. And there might be yep. a couple because there might be a professional developer and a maker. Yep. So there might be a couple of developer developers. And then we have another developer because in Scrum, everybody's yep. a developer, but this is a, uh, um, a tester, right? Somebody with a, a professional quali um, quality assurance background and they are going to test it. So the, we call it the three amigos and they have a quick yep. meeting um, when they're ready to pick up this product backlog or sprint backlog item. And they say, right, um, have we confirmed we've got everything? We still think it's ready. That design, it still looks appropriate. Yes. Have we learned anything new? No, it's all good. Let's, let's get started. And then they come up with a little plan that says, all right, it's Tuesday. The sprint ends yeah. um, in two weeks from today. So I'm going to try and have it built. I'm going to do a quick demo with the product owner on Friday. Then it's going to be ready for testing. When do you think, how long do you think it's going to be take to test? Or I can get the test done on Monday evening. Okay, what's well, going to be mm. done by Tuesday, halfway through the sprint? Great. And so, yeah, the, the three of them in this three amigos session, well, just to get to good sanity check, everybody's ready to start work. And yeah and off we go yeah 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 cool yeah perfect thank you for that yeah. um are you, are you doing it differently whenever you're whenever you're ready to go and start work on it or, or capturing your design ideas how, how much design are you doing up front no it's it's very actually very similar i think to what to what you do i think in, in your team is just some high level concepts right so basically i would if i have access to making changes to DevOps or ask the client to make changes to DevOps, I would recommend, I would myself try to have uh, an additional box with design ideas in right. there, yeah, where perfect. instead of having, and and then having them probably to the same level as, as you at the beginning is, what kind of automation or workflow do you want to use? Flow, this, that, what kind of tables do we think? Just because when we discussing, we have some ideas, we just want yep. to capture them so that it's not forgotten when we start working on this, right? So we capture them then. And then as we go through the user story, if I would work on the user story, I would often have maybe a small diagram next to it or a small presentation or an empty diagram or whatever. Then I would document, I would store them as attached, uh, not in DevOps, though, not as attached, but in DevOps. 
in a specific a SharePoint location that we okay. have linked to Azure DevOps. And then we link document, we link your, so we point to those URLs. So basically I would yeah. say, uh, you know, design ideas would be this, this, that table, and then that portal to me and this and that, and then entity diagram, and then a hyperlink to perfect uh, an entity diagram or PowerPoint or conceptual yeah. diagram or something, right? And this is stored then in a linked SharePoint folder to that user, to that user story effectively yeah. in that case. So this is basically how um, you, and then that folder in SharePoint, I'm actually working with another, with another client where they have a bit more structure in those folders as well. So for example, if um, documentation is stored there as well. So for you, a user store, if a, a documentation is required, we would store that documentation there in a specific subfolder of that folder of that DevOps item. Yeah, good. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, do you have to do much of a design document before the project gets started? Do you find maybe a enterprise architecture team or solution architecture team requires you to do some kind of upfront design documentation that they have to approve before you get started? I know Microsoft Fast Track, for example, is pretty keen for Microsoft partners to create the solution blueprint document. Yeah. Which is it's not even a it's not even a solution architecture, but it's a Mm. covers all the big topics, like how are we going to do data migration? How are we going to do integration? And addresses uh, probably the top 12, 15 things you need to consider. Um, yep. Those are really good documents, I think, to create. As long as they're reasonably lightweight and we're not yeah. bound by them or we can negotiate them later. Um, do you find yourself doing a lot of that with bigger customers? Yeah, actually, I'm doing quite, quite a lot of this kind of work, right? Which is kind of kind of between discovery and uh, envisioning and, and kind of one of the output that I, that I use is, is a solution blueprint, which has very similar, uh, you know, subsections as what is in the fast track, right? Which is effectively, it's kind of the, the question you need to ask. You, you need, you need a high level approach for each of those topics before you, you start, right? It, yeah. It's essential question you want to ask that you want to have documented in a high level way kind of yep. and kind of have yeah and i use often like those conceptual diagrams a bit of a high level architecture diagram and then integration with maybe an integration diagram high level yep. what are the concepts what are the system what, what what are the direction of the integration or so that we at least have a, had a discussion during that you know project discovery or project envisioning whatever you want to call it we had a discussion about those topics and we have an idea to also kind of provide a bit of an estimate when you're going to do the roadmap on the whole thing, but an idea of how we're going to approach so that there is no big surprises halfway through the project that we suddenly cannot integrate with the system. And that integration is effectively a deal breaker or whatever, right? We don't want to have, we want to limit the number of surprises that's that's really the key of that i think that that solution blueprint that, that yeah. project discovery is that you want to limit the risk and the surprises down the project you will always have some but you want to limit them and at least address the biggest one all right that sounds very similar to what i'm doing i, I know i've had mm. to take it a step further when i'm working with regulated organizations where there's mm. a very mature enterprise architecture and I try not to do it all up front, but I give them the high level picture to, to begin yeah. with. And as the project proceeds, we'll go deeper into a topic. Yeah. Like we're going to do an integration with this existing system. Here's our design pattern for, for yeah. that integration. We're going to use 
Umi or we're going to use MuleSoft or we're going to use mm. uh, Azure Functions and, and Logic Apps, get that kind of approval. And I think that they like to have some oversight of those patterns because you know they, they want us to reuse existing patterns where yeah. we can or uh, at least stick within the bounds of what they can support later. So Yeah. Yeah. A little bit of upfront design. Never hurt anybody. I just try not to get everything you know, set in concrete before we start. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, because yeah. things change so fast and quickly that, yeah. Um, what are some of the challenges you're, you're, you or your customers have faced recently when it comes to managing a backlog? Anything that, that's really, you know, people are grinding their teeth about that um, you, can, you can help us solve and avoid? Oh, look, I have seen... So I, I think a structure, like I said, a structure and... and, and Managing a product backlog itself requires a bit of, I think, of experience and, and kind of you had, you had to done it in, in the past to kind of be familiar with it, right? And, I, and clients that haven't done it using a tool like DevOps or Jira would manage your product backlog, you know, in Excel. I've seen those scenarios where, um, you know, you, you, you jump into or you start a project and then... The client opens, uh, you know, a spreadsheet full of requirements and columns with statuses and, yeah. and the filters stop broking. And then, you know, the next day they open the spreadsheet and it doesn't load because there's so many things. I've seen those scenarios, right? And I've, seen, I've been in those meetings where it's challenging even to go through the requirements and follow the statuses, right? So I think the tool here and, and how you manage it also plays a big role. And when I see that, I, I strongly recommend my client to take a look at that other tool that is made for that, right? And kind of get, get help them converting whatever they have somewhere else, whether it's spreadsheets or Word document or yep. into a, a tool like DevOps. So that's one of the challenge I've seen. When you are in DevOps, I guess, like we discussed at the beginning, right, is that adoption of the tool that will take a bit of time. Yep. I think I think the advice would be is just you 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 just need to allow your client time to to onboard and get familiar with it, right? It just takes time, but it happens. Like if you actively engage them, if you every day open DevOps or if you talk, work in DevOps, you tag them in DevOps in comments, they kind of forced after some time to kind of capture their thoughts and the details there. And after a bit of time, everybody's using it. And then two months from now, suddenly the clan is using it and, and really driving it as well. Yes. And that's kind yes. of a, a success, right? So I think yeah. this, this is also a challenge. Just give time for the organization to adopt it and, and use it because maybe at the beginning they won't like it or they don't want to use it. And so step by step, and then after a few weeks, a few months, I've seen that they really start using it. Yeah. Um, those would be the two ones, to be fair. Yeah. Um, okay. Um, one, one final question for you, Danny. And then yeah. if you've got a few minutes, I'd love to do a little bit of a retrospective with you. We can get to know you yeah, a bit yeah. better what you've been up to recently. Where do you stand on deleting product backlog items? Like, uh, no, item... don't delete. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. Go ahead. So, uh, so Ryan Ripley, he's a professional scrum trainer from Agile for yeah. Humans. He is big on deleting pruning yeah. your product backlog item to be as small as really realistically possible. And that includes yeah. hard deleting, you know, tearing up, yeah. getting rid of items that are yeah. never going to get delivered. He, um, right. I remember once he, he tells a story about he was at a conference and you had to stay standing until he called out the, you know, how old is your product 
oldest product backlog item. Yeah. And the one guy who remained standing the longest had a nine-year-old product yeah. backlog item, you know, had been at the bottom of the product backlog for nine yeah. years. And Ryan yeah. said, just delete it. It's never going to get delivered. Yeah. If it has, hasn't yeah. been important to anybody in the last nine years, it's never yeah. going to get done. So yeah, um, oh, you, don't, yeah. you don't like deleting. Well, if I make a mistake, yeah, uh, if I make a mistake, I create, you know, uh, of course I will delete it. But otherwise, well, you have the remove state. So I usually don't, if someone had an idea somewhere at some point, maybe it made sense. So I would, I would change the status to removed from the product backlog, which is that sort right. of delete yep. yeah, inactive in dynamics with the reason we tr always try to add a reason in the comment remove because it has been merged with this one or right. whatever, whatever the reason it goes out of of the listing it goes out you can but you can always find it and find the reasoning why yeah i don't know i agree maybe I, yeah and maybe after yeah maybe after five years if you look at your history and but why would you i mean it's there it's invisible yeah it doesn't it doesn't bother me i think it could be really nice if you know if you come up to me three years into the project or after we're going live and say hey, whatever happened to my idea i had suggested this thing yeah. or my boss suggested this thing and we can go yeah. and trace it back and say yes look it was in here it was discussed by the product owner yeah she she deprioritized it she she conferred with your boss and they agreed it wasn't uh, worth spending a lot of time and money on and that saves us creating a new item to, to yeah. go and do the same kind of evaluation all over again if we can go and find yeah. that old old item so i, I really like it yeah and yeah i wouldn't i wouldn't encourage people to delete stuff if there's a convenient way of hiding things and yeah, keeping exactly. them out of uh, out of harm's way yeah cool yeah 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 i have one question for you though if oh. possible so i know and i think you commented on on someone's linkedin post somewhere mine or maybe someone else that and you you had a, a way of writing user stories in a reverse Ah, yeah. In format, not starting with other actor. I do. You were writing it differently. Can you? Can you tell me? <laughs> it, it remind me how you sure. do it and why. Yeah. So the the very common user story template is: as a actor, I can yep. do something so that I get some value. First of all, I don't think having the actor uh, enumerated in the user story is helpful. Quite often, we have lots of different types of users who can use a feature, right? I don't want to say yeah. as a customer services user or as a sales user or as a marketing user or as an operations yeah. manager, I can so that. It's just hard to read. Yeah. Instead, I just drop that bit off. I drop the actor and say, so that, so I start with the value statement at the, at the beginning so that we can enhance our customer experience. I can merge customer records together. And then what I do is I use the tagging feature in Azure DevOps to tag yeah, which right. roles can use this feature, right? or who'll be targeting yeah. really with it. And so if I ever want to say, should we all the features we built for sales analysts or finance um, analysts, I can quickly search, you know, filter on the tag and all the user stories that we're building for the, those people show up on that list. Um, yeah. And it's a much easier way of organizing um, by, by persona or stakeholder or user role what we're building for um, and the value statement at the start just reinforces the fact that we need to focus on creating valuable functionality. And if you can't describe the value, then is it really worth doing the work? Now, sometimes you just have to do the yeah. work. Yeah. Um, focusing on the value. Yeah, helps. yeah, yeah. 
yeah, yeah, yeah. If I may just ask then on this one, so this assumes that you deliver that user story in kind of the same time frame, more or less, right? Or what would you do if the sales team needs that user story right now or did that feature yep. right now and then the customer service needed in, in two months time? Like, would you split the user story or what would um, you... No, I try not to. So, you know, it's always yeah. a, great que a good analysis question to ask is, who's going to use this mm. feature? And the product owner mm. says, oh, the, the sales team. Great. Okay. Well, yeah. As a sales user, I can. But a good question to ask is, anybody else? Yeah. Um, are there other teams who could yeah. uh, get value from this uh, functionality yeah. if we delivered it? And, oh, yeah, well, the customer service team might occasionally need to do it, but not as often. Yeah. So the real priority yeah. is for the sales team. Okay, well, I'll just tag customer service uh, yeah. as a persona on this user story. So I'll try and build it once. You might need to have a second user story mm. um, because we forgot. We forgot the customer service needed this functionality as well. Mm. And the way that we built it the first time was we only – enabled this, you know, through security roles, we only enabled it for the sales users. And so we have a second user story just focused on customer service because we need to add the security privileges to their security role. So yeah, I try not to do it twice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. So it's a, it's a more a case by case, again, scenario that, yep. yeah. Yeah. I would have two cool. user stories only if I forgot to ask upfront the first time. Yeah. Who else could yeah. benefit from this functionality? Yeah, yeah. Well, it's often the case, like I'm having a situation now where it's kind of very similar requirements or feature being delivered. But so the product owner is liaising us with business, with different business areas. Mm -hmm. And then one business area is very keen on having it. So we, we have all the requirements for them and we're ready. And then we deliver that now. Right. The other business area is a bit more busy or there are requirements for them. And then um, basically they take a bit more time to providing us those details. So that feature for them with the details for them, maybe what kind of, let's say connection roles, right? Connection roles, what kind of roles they want to have or something comes a few sprints later. In that case, yep. I would have two user stories because one, I want to push the first one. I want to push. Yes through the cycle and deliver. And then the other one, which is very similar for another user group, I would push it later. Yeah. Oh, yeah. absolutely. You're all, yes, you're always going to have mm. um, those enhancement user stories that enhance an earlier released feature. For whatever reason, great idea. Ah, you want to yeah, get, yeah. yep. get the value out there as quickly as you can and as early mm. a release as you can. And if somebody else wants to increment or iterate on that functionality later, some kind of enhancement, maybe maybe just to yeah. roll it out to a different group of users or a different business unit. Yeah, mm. it's fine. I'll, yeah, do that yeah. all the time. Cool. Um, have you got a couple of seconds you can stay on and, and let me know how to how to yeah. reach you, how to find you, and what you're up to recently? So um, I like to call this the retrospective um, segment yeah. in the in the podcast. Um, so for those who don't know, Danny, Danny and I, you know, live reasonably close together. You're just down in the Gold Coast, which is what 50 k's from Brisbane, and we catch up occasionally. You missed. Uh, you missed a very fun presentation I did last night at the um, Queensland Business Apps User Group. I was in costume doing my oh. how, to, how to solve the Elon Musk problem in, in Dataverse. Um, but uh, what, what kind of events have you got coming up soon, Danny? Yeah, oh, that, was an, that, that was an interesting topic that you presented yesterday. Um, yeah, look, I'm hoping to go at the uh, Nordics, Nordic Summit while I'm traveling in Europe end of September. 
right? Oh, so yeah. Copenhagen so, this year? Yeah, yeah, correct. Hoping to get that one. Uh, I have a bit of traveling and then for, yeah, for leisure in Europe happening. So I'll try to, because as you know, we don't travel to Europe that often from here. It's like a 24 hours plane ride, right? So, but um, yeah. yeah, so that's planned. Um, Nothing really other from a, pro a professional perspective. Um, where to find me on LinkedIn. You're LinkedIn always pretty active on LinkedIn. Place. I love following your content there. Thank you. Yeah, you, you're it's, pretty active too. Hmm? Yeah, I, I just try and keep up with you and Hamish, really. Um, yeah. You're always publishing these really colorful series of conceptual diagrams, diving deep into industry accelerators or different applications. Have you got any more of those planned? What kind of content are you brewing? for us at the moment yeah so i'm in a series which takes a lot of time but it's a series of of kind of concepts where i explore kind of the major components of the poor platform so i started with the high level you know microsoft biz apps what is in biz apps with a bit of diagramming right which to be fair was was got a lot of traction like comments and so that was pretty so that kind of encouraged me to continue and then i went one level down to the power platform and then again decomposing this then yeah. i i'm doing now that so dataverse i had a diagram plus an explanation to you to a youtube video then i had power apps and i had scott duro jumping me on a call depicting the whole thing i just did power bi with greg nash who is a power bi mvp he also went in kind of and it is, it, it is, I like doing those diagrams, but it really helps me understand. Like I've learned so much from, <laughs> I knew, I think I knew poor apps, like even model driven apps and stuff, but having a conversation with another expert, like telling the stories and how to use specific things, it's just enriching you so much, right? So it's, it's a big, it's how I learn basically, right? So I have those planned for the other parts. I'm hoping to get Nick Dolman. I pinged him already asking if he wanted to do with me the Power Pages one. So he 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 was keen to do that. I'll do one on Power Automate, Power Virtual Agents. So, but it really takes a bit of time. So it's 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 a few weeks, months sometimes work. Um, so this I, I have. And then occasionally, whatever I have, what I like doing right now, it's sometimes some small post on design ideas. You know, I, I stumbled lately on this new subgrids that you can, you click on a subgrid and that opens up in a model view. Yeah. Like, so one of my plan, I had the strong requirements around that and it's really kind of, you know, they were very happy. So I kind of posted. So when I have some ideas like that during my work, I try to quickly, you know, share it with the community. But other than that, nothing else. Really, <laughs> apart from all these videos and blogs and YouTube posts and everything else you're doing, not much. <laughs> I love it. Um, well, you also have, of course, your functional consulting course. We've talked a lot today about managing requirements. Your course is super helpful for anybody who wants to dive much deeper into the kind of topics Danny and I have discussed today. He has the best course on it. I've I've taken it. I Thank loved you. it. Um, it complements Hamish's work really well too. But you go deep into stages of um, product backlog items and Azure DevOps and other topics um, that we've discussed today. And I find it really useful. Um, so encourage my teams to go through it. I encourage all of you listening or watching today to go through that as well. Uh, I'll include a link to that in the show notes as well as Danny's YouTube channel and your blog and everything else, Danny. Thanks so much for Thank joining you. me. Amazing. Thank you, Neil. So uh, 
seventh time next time or or that that's the sixth time now this is the sixth yeah i think the next time will be right, the seventh okay. we'll have to we'll have to find another topic and we'll have you back on as soon as we can uh amazing thank you thanks danny bye see you my biggest takeaway from my conversation with danny was the practical use of documentation in addition to whatever's written in your user story a solution blueprint a user interface wireframe or example data in a spreadsheet I'm generally a fan of minimalist user stories that encourage conversations between developers and users, but Danny shared with us some great reasons to enrich our user stories without going to the extreme of writing an old-fashioned upfront requirement specification. What was your biggest takeaway from this episode? Visit the customary company page on LinkedIn or the amazing apps LinkedIn group and let Danny know. Until next time, keep experimenting.